0: Amen. As you're being seated, go ahead and take out your copy of the Scriptures. If you have a Bible with you, or if you have it on your phone, we will be studying um, from Colossians chapter 3, the text we read earlier today. We're starting a new series called Living Free from Sin. And the title itself can be challenging nowadays. Uh, When you hear the title Living Free from Sin of a sermon series or something like that, what is the first thought that comes to mind? Or what are the things that you think about when you hear something like that. Or to use another biblical phrase, be holy, pursue holiness. Our command, as God has given us, is to be holy as I am holy. We don't talk a lot or we don't seem to think a lot about simple obedience or simple holiness or living lives consecrated or dedicated to God. There are a few other thoughts that come to mind. One of them is simply, it's impossible. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can live completely free from sin. No one's still living in a fallen world with all the temptations that we face and our own flesh can live free from sin. And we get the idea that holiness, that godliness, that being able to live in the righteousness of Christ is just out of reach. I mean, it's like a hope. It's like some sort of expectation. It would be nice but but it's just out of reach. Others may think, well, it sounds good. I wish I could. But I, I can't, or at least I haven't been able to so far. It seems pretty often in my Christian life, it's one step forward and two steps back. And and I guess that life is just kind of, this is about as good as it's going to get. And life's okay, it's not too bad. I'm not as bad as it could be. And, and uh, making some progress along the way, And I guess this is as good as it's going to get until we appear with Him in glory, as our text says. Or some of you may think, well, holiness or the pursuit of godliness, that's fine for some people. I'm glad for those people who work that hard, who deny themselves certain things, and who have that intense focus and passion. But you may feel like it's really just not your thing. The pursuit of holiness feels like one more thing to worry about and a life that's already filled with stress and a lot of impossibilities. Sure, it'd be great to be a better person, but as long as we avoid the really big sins, I feel feel like we're okay. Uh, Living free from sin can be a constant goal. Sometimes when you come to church and you hear talk about sin, it seems like it's either just a list of things to not do. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And you go, and I don't know if you guys have ever just felt completely beat up by a sermon if you guys ever come out of a worship service and it's like you not only did the message step on my toes it stomped all over my feet you just kind of feel hammered with sin or with the things that you should not be doing and then the other extreme of that is the emphasis on grace by the way you cannot overemphasize grace let me be abundantly clear but when you emphasize grace there is the the threat or the danger that people will feel like, well, there's no urgency for me to pursue holiness, for me to understand what righteousness is, because God's grace is big. There's no sin that God's grace doesn't cover. And because gra- God's grace is so big, then then sin is always has the potential to just be taken care of in, in, in that respect. And so there's no real desire or passion or understanding to living free from sin so just as a matter of introspection as we begin is it possible for you to live free from sin is it possible for the righteousness of christ who is tempted in every manner just as we are yet without sin to become more and more increasingly a part of your life, the expression of your life. Last week, Jesse preached, and Jesse Hack, and I'm grateful that he came and he preached on the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. And he dealt with the issue of identity how that we have received grace, but we're also to be the instruments of grace, that our lives are radically changed when we come to Christ. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. We're going to take this week and three additional weeks. This week is girding ourselves up for battle. Is how do we, is it possible, yes, how do we live free from the control of sin in our lives? And then we're going to look at these three categories of sin that Paul covers in our text in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-11. Through eleven, But there's a few things that we need to kind of clear the air about up front. The first is that there is such a thing as sin. There is very clear in Scripture right and wrong. There are propositional truths. There are statements that God who created the universe, our God and our Savior, the one who loves us so, has says, these are those things that are holy and right and good. This is my character. This is what I have designed and planned for you. And then there are these things that are transgressions of that. These are the things that are wrong. They're wrong because they infringe upon my holiness. They're rebellion against me. And they're just simply things that are ungodly, unholy. Things that are a reproach to a holy God. There are propositional truths of what's right And what's wrong? Thank you, Jackson. I appreciate that. So what is true and what is not is, can something be a sin for you and not be a sin for someone else? And there are very clearly some things that God will tell you in your life that He's working on and you cannot do, and someone else may have the freedom to do. But there are simple things, a very clear understanding of commandments, truths, uh, righteousness, displayed, characterized in Christ's life and in Scripture so that there are things that are simply sin that we we have put off in Christ and we are to put off in practice and things that are righteousness that we are continually and increasingly to put on. Let me see if I can describe it from Scripture. In Ezekiel chapter 36, you don't have to turn there, but in the prophet, we read this recently in our daily Bible reading, the prophet in Ezekiel... God is talking about when He redeems Israel, when He sends His Messiah. He says in Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. This is, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about what's going to be accomplished in the Messiah. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a a living heart, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. When we come to Christ in repentance and faith, when we give our lives to Him, when He saves us, we become something we've never been before. We're brought from death to life. We get a new heart. We get a new mind. We get His spirit That indwells us. But that new heart, his spirit indwelling us, resides in a body of flesh. And there is, in case you don't know this, I want to make it abundantly clear there is a conflict between the righteousness of God and the sinful desires that continue to reside in our flesh even after we become believers. And the process of Uh, of the Christian life is a process of continually becoming more holy, becoming sanctified, sanctification. It's a process of being conformed to the image of God in practice, in the expression of our life that became true positionally when God placed us in Christ Jesus. When we start this text, if you start in verse 5, Colossians chapter 1, we'll go back to verse 1 through 4 later in this message. But he starts in verse 5 by making a very direct commandment. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. The old King James, mortify, mortify. Uh, to, to, this is, a, this is a, a, a battle command. This is a conflict. This is the, the idea that there is a war that is raging, that there is a battle that is raging. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 really expands on this a little bit more when Paul was writing to the church at Galatia. And if you look, we have Galatians chapter 5 in verse 16. Paul is giving an exhortation to the churches at Galatia, and those guys were struggling with some very specific things. But he's talking about the Christian life when he says, "...but I say, walk by the Spirit." And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see the contrast here. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And then the desires of the flesh. There is this ongoing struggle. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so, believers, I want to make, make sure that we get this clear. There is this continual process of being freed from the practice of sin in our life. When you got saved, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't know what's happened to my glasses, but I can't half see out them. I'll take them on and off as necessary. But when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, He gave you a new heart. He washed you, he cleansed you, he regenerated you, you became something that you 've never been before, and you were freed from the penalty of sin. Where did the penalty where was the penalty of sin applied? your sin applied when you came to Christ. It was applied to Christ Jesus on the cross and his forgiveness. he paid the penalty for your sin now he's paid the penalty sufficient for every man and all, all, all sin all right there's nothing that Christ's death is not sufficient for. But it was applied to your account. Your sin was imputed to Him, given to Him. His righteousness was given to you. And so you are freed from the penalty of sin. Praise the Lord. You are also freed from the power of sin. The power of sin to control you. The power of sin that held you in chains that you could not have been freed from before becoming to Christ. You are now freed from the power of sin by the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And one day, you're going to be freed from the presence of sin. When God comes in glory and we join Him in glory, which we looked back in, in a previous verse, you'll be freed from the presence of sin. The question is, how do we live today free from the practice of sin since we're no longer under the power of sin? Yes, I have a new heart. Yes, I have His Spirit that lives within me. Yes, I continue to have sinful desires. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 makes it abundantly clear that we still have that struggle. And go look up Romans 6 at some point. We'll do that more as we go through this study. But there, there, are, there is a conflict between what my flesh desires and what God's Spirit, who indwells me, desires. And so I want to say to those of you who are believers, welcome to the battlefield. We have a, we have a goal to pursue holiness. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 16... Paul is writing, and he's closing up his, his, uh, his book, his letter, to the church at Rome. And in verse 16, he makes this simple statement. We don't have to look it up. I'll, it, it, but he begins by saying, your obedience is known to all. Your obedience is known to all. Can I tell you that that ought to be one of the passions, one of the driving forces of the Christian life, that our lives would be characterized by our love for Christ, By our obedience to Christ. you remember what His command was when He called us, when He saved us? If any man would come after me, he must do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. We talk a lot, and we should talk a lot, about what we are saved from. Hallelujah. We're saved from the wrath of God expressed through eternal punishment in hell. We're saved from the controlling power of sin that we could not escape from. We're saved from darkness and brought into light. We are saved to... The pursuit of holiness. We're saved to walk in godliness, to be ambassadors for Christ. We're saved to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're saved to glorify Him by our obedience to His command. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And so, there's an important thing that we that we need to grasp. And I want just in Romans chapter eight, one more thing, uh, one more passage that emphasizes this in Romans chapter eight. In verse 12, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 14, Paul writes and says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, or we have an obligation, not to the flesh. We still have the flesh. We are, we are debtors. We have an obligation, but not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... Now, here's the life of a Christian. Here's the lifestyle that we embrace. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And I want to stop right here and simply say, if you don't have a conflict between the desires and the passions of your flesh and the Spirit of God who indwells you as a believer, then you've not been saved. You don't have the Spirit of God who indwells you. There is that conflict that takes place in the life of a believer. There is that opposition of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And the earthly passions, one translation calls it, the the desire to sin, the appetites of the flesh that resides in the body that we have. And so every Christian feels this conflict. The new heart that wants to serve God. The contrary appetites of the flesh. And so the very first thing I think that we need to understand is this. We need to mobilize in the battle against the sins of the flesh. And so if you're taking notes, I would just write that down. We need to acknowledge that there is a conflict in our lives. That we need to mobilize in the battle against the sins of the flesh. Yes, there's spiritual warfare against Satan. And yes, we live in a world that is opposed to God the warfare, the battle of conflict that we're called to embrace. in this text is internal. It takes place in your mind. It takes place in your heart. It takes place in your body. Mortify, put to death the deeds of the flesh. In order that our obedience may be known to all, first to God as a sweet fragrance and then to the world around us. Now, here's the question. By the way, we're going to have another Bible study class, CLA class. that will be taking place in June. In addition to the adult Bible study and the youth Bible study in the children's Sunday school, Kevin DeYoung has written a book called The Whole, H-O-L-E, The Whole in Our Holiness. And we're going to use that as the basis for an eight-week study in which we look at pursuing God, pursuing holiness, what that means and what that looks like. How do we lay aside sin? How do we embrace the holiness of God? How do we embrace our pursuit in in a love relationship with Jesus Christ? Additionally, how do we relate to a world that does not pursue holiness? How do we relate to a world that has values that are not the values that we see in Scripture? But here's a question I have for you. How are we doing? Are we missing it? Can I just tell you that to a great extent... Churches that identify as Christian churches are missing this emphasis on holiness, on obedience, and on righteousness. And I'm going to use the term loosely here, but I do want to identify a few things that would let me know that I think that overall churches in our city, we have many churches that are good and godly churches. I want you to understand that. The gospel is preached from pulpits across Greenville. Every Sunday. Praise the Lord. Amen. In that good news? We have churches that we partner with. Churches that we work with. Churches that we support. Churches that we have helped plant. Churches that we engage in. That give glory to God. That teach the truth of God's word. That love Him. And that are pursuing Him. That are intentionally making disciples. But there are some who name the name of Christ. Who have devalued Scripture and the truth of Scripture. And have fallen away from holiness to the extent that... There's not much in their testimony that gives any indication of the truth of God's Word. I'll give you just two examples that have taken place. We have a church in our city, First Baptist Church, who several months ago hosted the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus on their Lavender Pen Tour and freely affirm a morality that is clearly identified as a sin in Scripture. And are advocating for it. In a lot of ways, we just stop drawing the line of understanding what God's line is for sin and what is what it is what is not. Trinity Lutheran Church downtown just a couple of weeks ago hosted a drag queen preacher, the Lady Duchesne, to come and teach theology from their pulpit on a Sunday morning. You, uh, this was in the newspaper. I'm assuming that you saw it in the newspaper. It was on Facebook. Those are, can I just be clear? Those are egregious sins endorsed by congregations that profess the name of Christ. But before we start feeling too good about ourselves, we need to examine our hearts. Paul here is speaking to us and saying, You have deeds of the flesh. You have fleshly desires in your lives, in your congregation, in your heart that are going to have to be put to death as you pursue holiness. As a matter of fact, in our text, it gets a little bit closer to home. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That first groupings of sin deals primarily with sexual sin. It deals with the issue of adultery, of divorce, of pornography, of other sexual sins. It deals with anger. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Anger and outrage, wrath, the way that we talk to one another when we're upset, the way that we slander and talk about one another. And what about the sins of pride and the sins of racism? Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of, of its creator here, there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There are the sin of pride and the sin of arrogance and hypocrisy. And we'll be addressing these specifically over the next few weeks. But here's the deal. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from the power of sin, but we have to willingly engage in the conflict by submitting our will to God to seek obedience, to seek to glorify Him through the obedience in our life. This is more than just moralism. I am not coming up here, and and I have to be really cautious, and I want to be clear, because this isn't about simply giving you a list of things to check off. Sometimes we think of holiness as that means I won't get drunk. That means I'll be faithful to my wife. Holiness means I'll go to church. I'll bring my Bible when I come to church. Holiness means I'll do this. And we have a list of maybe five things, maybe seven things, maybe eight things. And if we do those things, then check, we're holy, or at least we're holy enough. And that reduces the pursuit of holiness, living free from sin, the life of obedience, to simply moralism, to being as good as you can be. But that is divorced from and separate from the Gospel. That is not what is being taught in these Scriptures. This is not some sort of work salvation or some sort of works security. What is being taught in this passage of Scripture is that God has saved us and redeemed us and indwelled us so that we may be indeed free. That we may live free from the things that Christ died to pay the penalty for. So that we may know Him fully and be conformed to the image of His Son. It's not, not simply a list of behaviors. It is the attitude and direction of our heart. It is the pursuit of our life, that which occupies our attention. It's important that we understand and recognize that holiness is not a simply a list of behaviors. Yes, we have been saved from the wrath of God against sin. Yes, we have put off the old self with its practices. We have. Put on the new self. You see the transformation that Paul continually talks about in this passage of Scripture. This has been done. This must be done. This is being done now. Where Scripture always goes when he calls us to obedience and holiness and calls us to live free from sin, we've got to remember, we must remember, who we are in Christ Jesus. And that's the second point on your outline. If you're taking notes, I want you to recognize that you can be holy. You can be clean. You can be right with God. Do you believe that? By the way, let's just let me ask that question. Do you believe you can be right with God? I mean, really right with God? At peace with God? That you can honestly say, Listen, Father, I am so pleased to come into your presence. I want to dwell in your presence forevermore, like David the psalmist said. That there is nothing that I know of, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, there is nothing that I know of that I'm guilty of, that I've not confessed of, and that I've not repented of. That I'm right with you and rejoicing in what you have done in my heart and in my life. Too many of us, too much, harbor things in our hearts that we're not willing to let go of. That we're not willing to release. Things that we are aware of, but that we're holding on to them, and it creates creates distance between us and between our God, our Savior. So we need to remember who we are in Jesus, who we've been saved from. Paul emphasizes the same thing in First Thessalonians chapter five, verses five through ten. In First Thessalonians five, he reminds them. He says, "You are children of light. You're children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Not anymore." So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober or serious or self-controlled. Having put on the breastplate, there's your, there's your conflict, there's your battle terminology, the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet, the hope of salvation. That's warfare terminology. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Such important truth. We are saved to be the recipients of grace. We are saved when we are the recipients of grace to be the instruments of grace. We're saved then to be ambassadors for Christ, to be conformed to his his son. And so we need to willfully pursue obedience and righteousness. You have been forgiven. You have been adopted. Into his family. Men's retreat. Last week. Ephesians chapter 1. Ted took you through. What the characteristics of, of a believer is. Who have been blessed in, in the heavenlies. and all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Who have been chosen from before the foundation of the earth. To be righteous and to be holy. Who have been adopted as sons. Who have been the recipients of the Holy Spirit. Sealed. And so here's the question, when we willfully embrace sin, do we remember who we are? Do we remember who we are? When I was in high school, I had a 1965 Mustang, 327, three speed on the floor, bucket seats, nice car. One night, after youth group, I was with a couple of buddies, and we were in the square in Belton, South Carolina, where my dad pastored Belton Second Baptist Church. You guys know Belton. I don't know if you've been familiar. It's got a nice little square there. If you hit that just right in that car, you could get a wheel and spin rubber and make it squeal going around most of that square. Benny had a uh, a Cougar. That was his car. Um, I think Mark was driving the GTO. That was his car. And we were trying to see who could get the best, who could leave the most rubber, get the best wheel going around the square. Unfortunately, there was a Belton City police officer who was there. And his car was faster than all of ours, and he stopped us. And, uh, you know, the normal thing. Let me see your license. I don't remember him asking for proof of insurance. This may have been before that was required, but he certainly asked for the license. And he said, Thomas Price, Price, is your dad a preacher? And I said, yes, he is. He said, it's 2nd Baptist. Yes, he is. I said, well, we'll see what he has to say when he has to come down to the station and pick you up. And he put the three of us in the back of his police car, took us down to the Belton PD and called my dad. Let me just say my dad was not happy with our behavior. And what I remember right off the bat, after he made sure that we were safe, he got us home. His first thing was, Who do you think you are? Not only is it unsafe, and not only is it foolish, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, not only is it foolish, but you're my son. You have a testimony, and what you do also reflects upon me and my testimony. Who do you think you are? Now, I remember thinking, that's not fair. (laughs) That's not fair. I have a hard enough time representing myself. I sure don't want to be the representative of the Price family. (laughs) And yet, can I remind us of something? We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been saved by grace. Jesse last week talked about not only the name on the back of the jersey, but the name on the front. Do you guys remember that who were here last week? We're identified as believers to a world who needs to see our obedience and the change and the difference that Christ can make in a life. And the fact that He has set us free. And set us free from care and worry but also set us free from enslavement to sin and all those things that would be detrimental and damaging, and we represent him. And can you I think of my dad saying, son, who do you think you are? You represent your family to this community. What you do has an impact upon our reputation. And I think of God saying, Who do you think you are when you when you engage in sexual immorality when you lie when you're a hypocrite when you get angry and you lose your temper and the things that come out of your mouth when you when you harbor malice and and judgment against someone because of their race or their nationality or their background who do you think you are? you're representing the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the good news though and here's what I want you to understand God wants us holy. He wants us holy because it's for our good. He wants us holy because it's for His glory. He wants us living free from sin, all of these aspects of sin, by clearly identifying what they are so that we can put them off, but also by replacing them with righteousness because there's a whole slew of things that we get to put on. We are not only free from lying, we're free from living in truth and all the peace and the joy that comes with that. We're not only free from sexual immorality, we're free to live in a sexual relationship as God intended and as God planned for His glory and for His good and for the society, for the world. It matters. We're, we are free from sin. We are free to righteousness for His glory and for our good. It's a big deal that we are to live in pursuit of the person. This is not simply about behavior. This is behavior that conforms to the image of Christ. Christ. And the good news is that we can do it by the power of His Spirit that indwells us. That's the Romans 8 passage. If you put to death by the Spirit the deeds of the flesh, then you live. You live free. You live true. You live right as God intended. And there's joy and there's peace in that that we are to embrace. Remember the context. We need to be... How do we do this? We need to be renewed... In the spirit of our mind. What does he say in Galatians chapter 3? Just go down to verse 10. And you have put on the new self. This is a completed fact. You have put on the new self. Which is being. This is the present perfect tense. Which is being renewed in knowledge. After the image of its creator. It is being. Working out. God working out his salvation in us so that what He accomplished when He saved us becomes the practice and the experience of our life. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Those things of the flesh we place on the altar, we continue to live, which is our reasonable, reasonable service of worship. How? By not being conformed to this world, but by being transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. By replacing false thinking. By replacing the deceitful lies of the world in Satan. By replacing the way our own flesh lies to us. With the truth of God's word. And embracing it as truth. Holding on to it as the truth. And walking in it step by step as truth. Romans chapter 12. Verses... 1 and 2, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. When he talks about all these things that we put off, he talks about things that we put on. And he says, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. We are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our Creator. It is this continual process of understanding truth, having the Holy Spirit illuminate truth in our life. When you get saved, He creates a new desire in your heart. When you get saved, He makes you new. And you want to please Him. The problem is, when time passes and you struggle and you struggle and you struggle, you can just coast and say, I guess this is as good as it's going to get. And we stop pursuing holiness. We stop pursuing intimacy with Christ. We settle out. And we just kind of coast. And we come up with excuses. It's just the way I am just the way I am got a bad temper just the way I am make up excuses and lies so I look better to other people it's just the way I am entertain pornography and other things that would lead us and tempt us into sexual sin well you know it's no big deal it's just the way I am we do things that don't glorify God we do things that are detrimental to our relationships here we do things that are harmful across the board and we just say well you know I think I think we're okay Maybe this is just as good as it gets. And can I, can I just offer this to you this morning? God has saved you. Praise God. He has cleansed you and forgiven you. He has made you new. Not so you can kind of coast your way into heaven and hope that grace covers it, but so that you can continually draw closer to Him. You can continually grow and mature and deepen in your understanding of what it means to be a believer, of what it means to be an ambassador. And the means that He uses to do this is by continually renewing your mind. By filling your mind with truth, the Holy Spirit illuminates and understands and then empowers. And as you yield to the truth, that has been revealed to you, and you say, I recognize this, then you begin to practice confession. You guys know what it means to practice confession? It means that God reveals something to you, and you say, I didn't know. I was talking to a pastor over on the west end of Greenville. He was sharing the gospel with a young guy in his community, and he was talking to him about what it means to be a believer, and the guy was complaining about his girlfriend. (laughs) And so he was complaining about a specific aspect of their relationship. And the pastor looked at him and said, Buddy, here's one thing you need to understand about what it means to follow Christ. It means that you pursue sexual purity. What does that mean? This guy asked him. He said, that means that you save yourself. You don't participate in sex until you're married and then only with your wife. For the rest of your life. And the guy said, you've got to be kidding me. No hint, no clue that that was even a reasonable expectation. You guys know that our culture does not teach that even as a reasonable expectation. You know that, right? And so this guy had not been exposed to that as truth. And now the Holy Spirit is making him aware of this as truth. He has since come back to that pastor and the small group that he's a part of. And he says, I didn't know this, but man, have I been messing this up? And he's confessed it and he's asked God to cleanse him and forgive him and to keep him pure until such a time as he's married and he can enter into that relationship. Does that make sense? When God reveals something, to practice confession is to say, this is sin. I may not have understood it to be sin before. I recognize it now. Here's a clear yes. Here's a clear no. I acknowledge it. I confess. I agree with you that I was wrong. Asking your forgiveness and cleansing. And I, I, I repent. I want to walk in obedience Moving forward, you practice a confessional mind. You're continually renewed as God renews your understanding of truth and of righteousness and of Himself. Here's the good news your new self has an insatiable appetite. You really want, the Holy Spirit will create in you a hunger and desire for God and the things of God and a desire to please Him. Here's the bad news your flesh has an insatiable appetite and it will continually be tempting you with passions and and desires that do not glorify Him. So how do we do this? You be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul writes in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, If then you have been raised... Well, no. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fill your mind with the things of God. The things that give glory to Him. The things that you can thank Him for. I don't remember where the conversation was. It may have been in our home group or it may have been with a group of pastors last week. And the guy was struggling with what movies he should watch and what movies he should let his family family watch because there's some really interesting and appealing shows out there but they have such immorality just kind of embedded in them that it's kind of hard to draw the line and his response is I don't really want to do anything that I can't just thank God for the experience after you know what I mean I just don't really want to do anything that I can't thank God for the experience afterwards and so what he's begun asking himself as he makes decisions for himself and the family that he's responsible for, is can we do this and then genuinely thank God for the experience when it's done? I think that's an excellent guideline. I think that's a wonderful way for us to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to discern what we should be thinking on, things that are good and true and just and holy and virtuous. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, set your mind on these things and so we're going to focus on the few areas that are in this text three areas specifically that that the scripture clearly identifies as sin and how we can be free from them and also how we can allow these circumstances to be a means by which we represent the forgiveness of christ to people who may not even acknowledge that their sins in the first place does that make sense I don't know if I said that very clear. That was kind of a convoluted sentence. But we get to be instruments of grace. We get to be vehicles of truth. We get to be ambassadors for Christ. But the place that it starts is making sure that our obedience is known to all. I determined several years ago that it was time for me to physically get in shape. Not going, it's only going so good. All right, But I signed up for a boot camp. You guys know what a boot camp is? In the military, you certainly know what a boot camp is. You go through so many weeks of high-intensity physical training. Now, most gyms will offer a boot camp experience for you where you get to train intensively for a brief period of time. I want you to sign up for the next four weeks for holiness boot camp. How about that? for us to look at three specific categories of sins and to say there are things that we can simply say this is a sin and we don't have to be chained to it. We've been set free from it. We don't have to continue to move back to it. We can be freed from it completely and we can be equipped to help others who are struggling with the same sin so they can experience the same freedom that we experience. Will you join me? It'll be a fun time, a fun study, but it will be work. Let me tell you what it means. It means that there's going to be passions and desires of your flesh that you're going to have to say no. And the way that you say no is by saying yes to that which God desires, to that which pleases Him. Father, I pray that today at least lays the groundwork for the direction that you'll take us in over the next several weeks. And I pray that we will indeed commit just to to four weeks of intense study looking at three categories of sins that we deal with, that we can be set free from. Sins of morality, sexual morality, physical morality, that, that our world largely just ignores or that is in opposition to sense of attitude and anger and harshness, the things that we say, the way that we talk about people, the way that we talk to people that we purport to love. I pray that you'll take us through that and examine our hearts and help us to know how you can change us. It doesn't have to be the way that we are. You have made us and are continually conforming us into the image of your Son. The attitudes of our heart, the the prideful arrogance that makes us condescending and rude that makes us discriminating and harsh against other people I pray that you will go into our hearts and root these things out and that our lives will be categorized or characterized as those who are obedient to the things of Christ, those who reflect the character of Christ, those who are conformed to the image Of your Son. Help us to live increasingly free from sin. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together, please.